This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. The content and opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect those of WSSP, Intercom Milwaukee, its staff, or sponsors. From Lake Michigan to the Mississippi... And every river, lake, and field in between. Let's talk everything outdoors. Aboard! Ha, ha, ha! You're on the crazy train! All aboard! <laughs> Welcome to the Cutting Edge Outdoor Show. Fasten your seatbelts for a wild ride through Wisconsin's outdoors. Only on 1250 AM, The Fan. Welcome to Wacky Walleye's Cutting Edge Outdoors. Hey, thanks for getting up with us uh, early this morning. Uh, I'm Dan Bush. Normally I'm here with Tom Neubauer. However, I was uh, informed about, oh, 30.5 seconds ago that uh, Tom's going to be a little bit delayed in joining us today. So uh, hopefully he should be with us shortly. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the ice jamborees coming up. Uh, as you guys know, this is the time of year that a lot of clubs uh, like to uh, have their jamborees. And, you know, I think it's important that we support some of these. Uh, in fact, you know, a lot of them have uh, charitable causes that they raise money for. Uh, they're good local clubs. So I think it's important to get involved. Um, now, I belong to two clubs in the area. I, I belong to Milwaukee uh, chapter of... Uh, of uh, Muskie's Inc. and I also belong to the, to the uh, Pewaukee chapter of Walleyes for Tomorrow. Now I'm going to be honest with you guys, I don't attend the meetings. So sometimes I feel a little bit guilty about that because you know I've been a member of Muskie's Inc. probably for 20 years and uh, the Pewaukee chapter since its inception and I haven't gone to a meeting. However, I fish, many of you guys know, I am a guide on Pewaukee Lake since uh, 1999, I guess. And, uh, you know, I take clients muskie fishing. And, you know, these local, uh, you know, Muskies Inc. has done a lot over the years to con kind of, you know, not only does the DNR stock, but Muskies Inc. has had its own rearing pond in Delafield, I believe. And they'd stock several hundred muskies at a bigger size 
so they're less likely to get cropped off, and they've been doing that for years. And not just Pewaukee, but some of our other lakes as well. I believe Okachi uh, is another one of them. And they're stocking muskies that I'm utilizing as a resource. So, so I feel that it's really important to, uh, you know, to support them. And so I don't mind giving them my uh, uh, $35 a year for that. And now guys are starting to catch walleyes out here on Pewaukee. So, you know, I'm happy to give them my $25 a year. So even if you're not a guide, I would really suggest that uh, if you fish our, our area lakes, I mean, if you're out here trying to pound uh, ice fish and pound for walleyes out there fishing all night long, uh, you should belong to the Pewaukee chapter. If you're out here muskie fishing, you should belong to the local muskies, Inc. I mean, support the people that are supporting what you're enjoying. It just makes sense. And now I guess we got our good friend Tom Neubauer is uh, alive and with us. He had his morning coffee. He's sitting there in his Superman pajamas ready to talk. You there, Tom? Yes, I am. I, uh... I set my alarm for 7.15 instead of 5.15. <laughs> so so what, uh, are you on, well, that's not Eastern time. I don't know what, Pacific time or whatever. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah, I, uh, I, got a, I actually woke up and looked at the clock. It was 5 to 6, and I was sitting here at the desk at uh, one or two minutes after 6. So, whew, I'll tell you. You're not... You're not like uh, you're not like uh, deluxe Danny Bush, where I haven't used an alarm clock in 40 years now. I just oh. tell myself what time I'm going to get up the next day, and I'll normally wake up. In fact, it's uncanny. I can wake up in the middle of the night, and I'll think to myself as I go to get my drink of water, uh, I think it's about 3.17. I'll just come up, and I'll walk out. I can't tell you how many times I'm within five minutes of that time. Oh, it's really? Just, it's just kind of an well, uncanny I use, kind I use of an sense of time. Clock, so. Yeah. But well, we're glad you're here, Tom. You, you really sound like you're you're ready to go here. Um, yeah. Like, I, like I, I said, I don't know what happened to me. Uh, you know, last night, think you know, setting my alarm for seven fifteen instead of five fifteen. It's like, wow. And you and usually I, I get up at five fifteen and I take a shower and that, and, uh, so that I'm you know totally wide awake. I guess I'm not totally wide awake this morning yet. <laughs> okay, folks, so Tom's going to go take a cold shower. Hey, uh, I uh, was going to go through a list of some of these upcoming ice jamborees, so I'll yeah. finish my thought here. Uh, got a whole bunch of them going on right now. Now, we do have one uh, out at the uh, waterfront. So we got one out at the waterfront today. And uh, this one, I don't know. Well, I think you were familiar with this group, Tom, the Sherwood Forest Bowmen. Didn't you go out I, to some bow and arrow? Some no, I, I've talked to those guys. They've been on this radio show. Right, right. Yeah, okay, that's 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 what I thought. We'd talk to them. They've got theirs out at the uh, waterfront today. So when the show is over today, I'm going to uh, drive on over to waterfront and invest my whole five dollars, and then come back, set some tip ups. Uh, also, there's another one going on. I think it's the Stone Bank Sportsman's Club. They're uh, based out of the uh, Legion Hall, American Legion Hall, right there in Okrachi, right uh, close to uh, Muskie Mike's, right kind of across the road right. and down, down about a block. Now, they've got a big thing going on out there where um, you can enter. You got uh, It's too late, actually. Uh, you were supposed to have bought your fish ticket for them by last night. 
so you can't buy go down there and register a fish unless you've you know already pre-purchased the ticket but they do have some raffles out there you can get uh, six tickets for 20 bucks and they got a bunch of guns they'll be giving away out there so uh uh, a guy and guns, it's like a woman in shoes. You can never have too many. Also, uh, they've got another one going on today, Fin and Feather, 60th Annual. That's on any area lakes, uh, as is the Stone Bank one, any area lake. You've got Valley Rod and Gun Club on Lake Kesis today. Uh, then next week, we've got February 13th, you've got the Frostbite Fishery on Nagawika. And Oconomowoc Rugby Fishery on Okachi. Uh, Golden Lake Pub First Annual on Golden Lake, of course. Delafield Lions Club Fishery is going to be on any area lake. And uh, then next week, Sunday, the Whitewater Lions Club is going to be on Whitewater and Rice Lake. And then the big one, the greatest of them all, February 20th, the Walleyes for Tomorrow, Pewaukee Lake one. And that's going to be... Uh, Partially indoors at the waterfront, partially outside. They're going to set something up outside, work on our social distancing a little bit. And then also uh, on the February 20th, the McWanago Lions Club has their 56th annual on Phantom Lake. Then the last one of the year that I see locally is February 27th, Kenosha Tavern League, Kenosha, Walworth, Racine County Lakes. And this list is courtesy of Dick Smith's Bait Shop. You can go to their website. They've got all this stuff listed there, Tom. Well, it's uh, a lot of stuff coming up. You know, the people who have jamborees today and tomorrow, I sure hope they got a shanty with a heater. You know, I wouldn't want to be sitting outside today and tomorrow. Well, there's there's none tomorrow, fortunately. No, well, I, I, talked a, I talked to a guy yesterday that they have one uh, it's it's not really a jamboree. It's uh, I don't know. It's a group of people who live by a lake that get together, you know, and have one on you know every year. And uh, and this year it happens to fall on Sunday. So, that's but yeah, anybody going out today? Block. Yeah, it's going to be cold if they're sitting it's outside. Like, Woo. That's like their own neighborhood block party yeah, slash yeah, like a block Super Bowl party. party but yeah. yeah, those aren't all that serious anyway. I'm sure. But uh, tomorrow I would not be fishing. Uh, it's going to be, the wind's going to be howling tomorrow. Today shouldn't be too bad. Now, of course, I've got my deluxe shanty here, so um, I'm not too worried about it. Although fishing's been, uh, fishing has not, fishing has not been so, so hot. But, you know, I'm just due to get a big northern here anytime. So gives gives a guy something to do anyway, Tom. And, and maybe I can get some uh, more fillets for you there, buddy. Yeah, I appreciate that. Hey, listen, I uh, want to let everybody know if they're interested in, in uh, sturgeon spearing, uh, that begins on February 13th and runs for 16 days or until the predetermined harvest caps are met. And uh, this year the Wisconsin Department of Natural Resources predicts the, the harvest caps will be met uh, prior to the 16-day season limit. Uh, System-wide harvest caps for this year are going to be uh, 430 juvenile females, 950 adult females, and 1,200 males. So, you know, that's quite quite a few sturgeon, but they're expecting that to be, uh, uh, you know, attained before that 16-day limit or 16-day season. So anybody who's going to be doing it, you better 
go out and get your license, you know. Are you going to go well, out there, Danny, and Sturgeon Spear? Or your brother Tom, is, right? Well, he's done it. But you know what, Tom? Anybody who uh, was going to Sturgeon space, Fish are the only ones. It's not like the, anybody's just going to go buy a license and go Sturgeon Fish now. That's because right. you got to plan that stuff. you got to have a yep. shanty. you got to plan to get your chainsaw out there cut the hole in the ice and or hire somebody to do it for you. Now, if somebody is just hearing this for the first time and you're thinking, oh, gee, I think I'll go sturgeon spearing, uh, you could contact local yokels up there and I'm sure find someone to a, uh, try and drill you a hole. Sometimes if you got a big enough pop-up shanty, my brother actually has a real nice tent, kind of a teepee-type, tent-type shanty that he puts out there and it's totally dark inside and you can see down and then uh, you'd have to get yourself to spear and so forth. So it's and a decoy, although a decoy doesn't have to be fancy. My brother used the bright, shiny teacup of his wife's from his wife's collection years ago <laughs> when he just That's make funny. sure you tie the rope tight to your wife's teacup or you're going to be going in after it. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's quite a I'm guessing, Tom, if they're saying that they anticipate shutting the season down early, that the water clarity must be pretty good right now. Right. Um, and that's why they're anticipating a pretty quick harvest. Right. That information came by the way of Mark and Ann, and I want to thank them. But, you know, they, uh, Mark and Ann sent us an email uh, with this information, and then he wanted to know, uh, they said, I have not heard old Kevin call in for quite a while. I hope he's doing okay. So, you know, old Kevin has got some fans out there, haven't heard him in a while, and yeah, I was wondering too. I hope he is all right. Yeah, you're right about that. Um, yeah, yeah, Kevin. He's uh, I visited him, visited him a couple times there in the nursing home, and brought him a cutting edge outdoors T-shirt or hat. I think a while back, but uh, right now, I imagine uh, the nursing home visits. I'm guessing are probably totally shut down right now. Unfortunately. Yeah. Hey, uh, did you tell everybody who's going to be on at seven o'clock today? Uh, no, I have not yet got to that. Oh, well, do you want to tell everybody? No, go ahead. <laughs> uh, Dale, Captain Dale Strohshine is going to be on at 7, telling us, uh, giving us uh, the up-to-date report. On the, it, I've heard anywhere from 66 to up to 80 anglers were had to be rescued from ice flows on the Bay of Green Bay. Uh, that was, I think, on Thursday. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, and Thursday. So he's going to give us the update on uh, what happened out there. Uh, but, you know, I'll tell you what, over the years, Danny, that's happened a number of times where anglers get stuck on a basically an iceberg and they're drifting out into the lake, you know. Yeah, that, that would be a scary, scary thing, Tom. Oh, well, t- especially t- if you got your, your truck with you and all that, you know. I, I mean, oh, my goodness. So I got to ask you this, Tom, because I know you're pretty strict with your schedule here, and you like to do the football picking contest at 7:15. But Dale's a little long-winded, so if so, is it possible to push if, that back to 7:30? Yeah, if if Dale does want to stick on for an extra, you know, 10-15 minutes, then we'll have to do the football picking uh, at 7:30. So it'll be it'll be the last football picking of the year, Tom. Can you yeah, believe it? Yeah, that's right, last one. You know, I'll tell you. Whenever the the big game is it comes on every year, um, I'm not so much unless the Packers are in it. But I'm not so much interested in the game as I am about the commercials. And we can talk about some of the stupid ones 
or what we think about them, uh, you know, when we come back from a break. we got to go to a quick break, folks. So, uh, hey, stay tuned, will you? And if you got one of those goofy uh, football commercials that's on every February, uh, you want to tell us about the dumbest one if you've seen, just give us a call at 414-799-1250 or email us live at ceoguys at yahoo.com. We'll be right back with more. He's Dan Bush. I'm Tom Neubauer. And Sam Schmitz is on the boards. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Wacky Walleyes, cutting edge outdoors. I'm Dan Bush, along with my good friend Tom Neubauer. Uh, we always take the time to uh, say we uh, back the badge and thank law enforcement officers out there uh, helping helping take care of us, first responders, military, healthcare workers. Last week I mentioned uh, the uh, truck drivers, and today I want to thank the convenience store workers working at those places, helping us pay for our gas and buy our purchases. The ones at the Quick Trip are particularly courteous, and we thank those people for what they do. So, you know, when it comes to those commercials at the the big, uh, we can't call it you-know-what. we got to call you know it what? the big game. With, well, with the NFL being so persnickety about it, yeah. oh, how about if we just call it the lame game? There we go. Okay, the lame game. So anyway, uh, it, what drives me nuts, though, I mean, it, first of all, it's like I want to go to the bathroom you know, during commercials, but I can't because i got to watch to see the new ones. At least that's what I want to do. But what kills me is that some of these commercials, you know, these companies will pay millions and millions of dollars to come up with some stupid commercial that you don't even know who the commercial is for. You know what I mean? It's like it's about everything else but about what or what the company is or who the company is, and you're sitting there scratching your head going like, who is that for? And that sometimes what they'll do is they'll say the name right at the end or a logo, but you'll forget it like in 10 seconds. You'll forget who that was. But I must admit, some of the commercials are pretty funny, you know. Some of them you know, are pretty good. So I, I wish I'd gotten a job in marketing. I'll tell you what, I got great ideas for commercials all the time. If there's a marketing company out there, they ought to hire me right now because I could come up with something way better than some of these dumb ones that they come up with. Sometimes I think you got these geniuses trying to overthink it. Yeah, And exactly. they make it too complicated. And, yeah, you're right. If, if the commercial is done and you don't know what the, what the product was for, that's a huge waste of millions of dollars. The other ones that I hate are the ones where they have, like, a famous person, right? Yeah. Um, and he's their spokesperson. Now, if you got a famous person as a spokesperson, it's because everybody knows who the spokesperson is. But if they have to go, okay, thanks, George Foreman, well, guess what? That's not good <laughs> because they should know it's George Foreman. That's why you got him as your professional spokesperson. Yeah. Of course, I never had, never saw George them do that with George Foreman, but you will do, see that with some other maybe retired athletes, and, and yeah. they got him on there. Maybe their agent got him, a, got him the gig, but... The, the commercial, they're thinking, well, maybe people don't even know who this retired guy is. That's right. You put, brought up a good point. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's kind of funny, uh, you know, how that works out. But uh, there was something else. Uh, oh, shoot. There was something else. Uh, oh, 
wait a minute, I got it right here, Danny. Wait a minute. I just got to flip a page here. Uh, I didn't have, you know, for some, you know, normally I do this stuff before we go on the air. And uh, like I said, today was a little goofy. But anyway, here, Bill Schutte of Ashland caught a 42-inch, 22-pound northern pike uh, from an inland lake. It doesn't say where. He was using a salted smelt under a tip-up. Uh, the northern pike had a 21-inch girth. They got a picture of him. It's like a, it's a darn nice fish. Must look like the one you caught. Yeah, did you say Ashland? Ashland, yeah, Ashland County. Well, you know, one thing that I would, uh, it's possible you can get some big pike and some some small lakes, but, you know, that that's right up by Chiquamagan Bay. It's possible yeah. he caught that on Chiquamagan Bay and just wants to kind of say inland right. lake right. to keep it kind of, or maybe it's a, uh, a tributary or, a, you know, maybe it's kind of an offshoot of, uh, of Chiquamagan Bay up there. But regardless, that's a darn nice pike. The other thing I question you know the salted smelt thing now you don't need to use that's kind of also known as the brined type smelt where i don't know you'd put them yeah. in the bleach or whatever and uh, and you're supposed to use those uh so you know not to you know spread vhs apparently that started years ago now if you fish the great lakes or places where the vhs exists already it doesn't matter you can just use your smelt or whatever right but um yeah, I, 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 I think there's some guys out there, Tom, that uh, they, they, they got a bag of, they got a, they got a bag of smelt that say salted, and then they got one under the tip up that ain't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I, I guess I don't know if it's supposed to, uh, if it's supposed to, uh, um, you know, make. I don't know. I guess the fish would still grab them, whether they're brined or not. For gosh sake, you know, Larry Smith is catching fish on hot dogs. And uh, I've seen other videos where guys are using hot dogs. So as long as it's laying there, big hunk of meat. But I still don't know if something had some unnatural smell. I, I don't think I'd really want to uh, want to have anything like a bleach. Now, salt, that's that's okay. I guess salt type thing. I, I'm yeah. not sure on how they brine them, actually. Yeah, well, probably, you know, well, brining would be nothing. Well, probably, yeah, a lot of salt, yeah, probably. But, uh Today, I know we should have talked about this last week, but today they got a big uh, ice fishing tournament up on Lake Onalaska. And the only reason why I bring it up, I, I guess it's a real big one that thousands of people go to. That I, I ice fished actually up there one time, and uh, it was it was uh, actually very good. Lake Onalaska, off of the Mississippi River, is uh, is a really good ice fishing destination for a lot of people. A lot of northerns and panfish and bass all kinds of fish are in there have you ever gone up there danny and ice fished no i have not okay. um I, I have not i i know there's a pretty big fishery up there well wait a second i'll take that back uh i did go up there with my buddy jeff a couple years back and we did some pike fishing and we were we were on an area with some kind of hairy kind of ice at the time yeah so he's found a better area since uh, where they get some pike and perch. In fact, uh, he's I was planning on going up there this weekend, um, but he may have aborted because of the weather. But yeah, the on Alaska, uh, that's got a known reputation. Uh, you know, it's, that's what off the uh, Mississippi River, right? Yeah. And that's got a reputation 
even in summertime, especially if you can find those hidden trout streams that come into the uh, Mississippi there with the cold water and the heat of the summer, there's you catch some monster pike in some of those spring hole type spots. Yeah, that's what I hear. I hear it's uh, really good, you know. And, you know, I'll tell you what, the, the monster perch that they catch out of the Mississippi, I wouldn't mind going for those this summer, you know, because, uh, boy, those are just some killers coming out of the Mississippi. Just well, I talked, to, uh, I talked to our friend Dan Johnson over at uh, Dan Johnson Taxidermy. Uh, again, if you ever get a fish and you want to get a fish mounted, he does the most beautiful fish I've, I'm looking at one of his walleyes right now on the wall. But uh, he was, uh, he's got a guy that's been coming into his shop. And, of course, as a taxidermist, it's kind of like the sporting goods store guy. You talk to a lot of people, get your finger on the pulse about what's happening. Yeah. He had some guy come in and talk about he went with an outfitter out there catching those giant perch. But do you know, Tom, that this guy is like using like some kind of airboat? to go way, way, way back into the middle of nowhere. Really? So it's not like just smoke and take his pole or his bucket and his auger and just find any place right off the highway and go get him. To get those great big ones, these guys are going back where no man has gone before. It's like Starship Enterprise. <laughs> yeah, I wonder what. Those must be back in the sloughs and that, you know? Correct. Yeah. Correct, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, no roads around there or anything like that, so that the only way to get there is either walk or by airboat, you know. So, wow, that's, that's so it'd amazing. Be, it'd be pretty tough for them to get our recliners back there, Tom, where armchair guys like you and I can catch those perch. Yeah, that would be pretty tough. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't go ice fishing myself. I'd, I'd only do summer fishing, you know, only, only go in the summer. So that's what I'm looking forward to, you know. We got uh, the gut report coming up after the 6:30 break, and we got the Hornschwaggle coming up after the 6:45 break. We got Dale Strohshine calling at seven o'clock, and then we got the football picking contest either either after the 7:15 or 7:30 break. Man, I'll tell you what, we got a lot going on today, Danny. We got stuff yeah. going on. We got stuff going on. Yeah, and I gotta ask Sam. Sam, have you ever gone ice fishing? No, I mean I haven't gone fishing since I was probably you know eight or nine years old. Oh, just too busy working and too busy chasing girls. Uh, no, it, I, we used to have a cabin up north, but my family sold that. Now you know I just never have a reason to like go up north or like go fishing and all that. Yeah, because like I said, you're too busy working or chasing girls. You, you <laughs> Tom, Tom, chicks chase <laughs> Sam. Let's get it straight, dude. Uh, what? Get what straight? The chicks chase Sam, not oh, vice versa, dude. Oh, is that the case? You don't need Sam? to do no chasing. I feel like you forget about the, uh, the my past history of being a wealthy landowner. Oh, oh that's right. He's <laughs> he's a chip off the old block, even though we're not related. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. With that, why don't we take a quick break? Coming up next is the gut report. So, folks, stay tuned right here to 12:50 a.m. The fan. Welcome back. Welcome back to Wacky Walleyes. Cutting edge outdoors. I'm Dan Bush, single straight white wealthy retired landowner from Douglas County. Just thought I'd throw that in there every couple of weeks. 
And he's Tom Neubauer. He's up. He's Adam. He's alive. He's ready to go. He's throwing recipes at us. Feeling good. He's the bass expert, Tommy Neubauer. And Tom, I wanted to uh, mention we were talking about uh, ice fishing earlier today. Um, I was looking for a replacement spool for my, I had an HT Polar tip-up, and it was one of those big plastic 500-foot spools. Yeah. And somehow it got crushed, okay. so I wanted to replace it. And uh, now, I, they, they're not expensive if you can find one. Normally, you can get a couple bucks, and you can screw a new spool on. No, the tip-ups themselves, normally you can get them for 15 bucks. So I realized the whole tip-up isn't that expensive, but I thought, well, geez, if I can just get the spool... You know, sure, I could go buy a new one, but I, I went to one bait shop, and they uh, they uh, didn't have one, and the, and the guy just kind of goes kind of kind of smart-alecky. He goes, oh, just buy a new one. Don't be so cheap. So I, I, I thought, well, yeah, sure, I can buy a new one if I want, but why not if I can just get for three bucks a replacement, re- replacement yeah. spool? Why not just do that? So I couldn't find one anywhere, but I, I just want to put a shout-out. There's a place... It's local out of West Bend. It's called Extreme Tackle. Extreme Tackle, you guys can Google it. And they are actually the factory outlet for, I believe, for, it says on their website, for HT uh, ice fishing stuff. And I found it on online and uh, ordered it. And within one day, I had the stuff. Now, it's an online store only. So you can't drive out there to West Bend and go into the store. But, uh, you know, I think it's a great resource if you're looking for some things. Of course, we say support your local retailer if you can. But if you can't find it there, go online. And uh, I actually ended up ordering a nice brand new Polar 2 Deluxe big wooden tip-up with the giant spool for a Lake of the Woods trip. I got one of those from them as well. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Along with, uh, you know, tips on great places to uh, purchase some things, you know, your own, I was out, Tom, I get to give you guys kudos. I was out at Sherpers in Oconomowoc yesterday uh, because they had a poster on the uh, on the wall uh, about that uh, Stone Bank uh, fishery and the phone number. So I needed to go back out there and copy that down. And I took the time for the first time ever to carefully browse and I had nothing going on Wind was howling outside. I browsed through that entire Sherpers store, and man, they have an incredible selection of some of some great stuff. In fact, I had been looking at getting these uh, expensive sorrel boots called the Glacier. They're about a hundred eighty dollar boot, and I went online and it looked like uh, Shields was like one of the only places that carries them. Well, I went in there. You guys got those deluxe. Uh, Sorrels, you also have uh, another kind of boot that I'd researched online as being like one of the, the greatest cold weather boots. I think it's by Danner, Dan, the, the Danner Axis boot. I, I might shooting off the top of my head there. But, man, you guys got it all right there. I mean, it, I, I'm going to have to ask you when those boots go on sale, Tom, because I think I'm going to get a pair. Well, actually, uh, over at the Hales Corner store is the main store. We have actually more boots than the Oconomowoc store. And, uh, yeah, we carry all the name brands uh, of cold-weather boots. Uh, yeah, we carry a lot of them. But, you know, I, I'm glad you brought that up. I forgot to tell everybody last week. You know, last year there was a ice fishing lure. It's not really so much of a lure. It's like a bait to take the place of, like, a waxworm. It was called beaver tails. 
and there were these little bitty strips of the actual beaver meat, little like one-inch strips or less than an inch maybe. And uh, last year they were really hot. We sold out of them real fast, couldn't get any more. Well, we got a whole bunch of them in last week, and uh, off, I think there's four different colors. Now, my son Nick favors the white color, and what he does is he he cuts it, uh, he, he splits it so it looks like a, a, a twin teaser tail, okay? And uh, and when you put it on your on your jig, um, it's not going to come off because it's it's hard. Like remember, like Uncle Josh pork frogs, you know. Once you put it on, you can't get it off, and so it it just lasts, you know. And and the crappies and the bluegills seem to really really like it. And, and as a matter of fact, last week he caught a whole bunch of bluegills and crappies on on one of those. So uh, we do have the four different colors of beaver tails in right now. It's at the Sherpers and Hales Corners, so and those the, are supposed to be really hot, you know, for ice fishing. So I, the other, I guess they would, I guess it would be good for summer fishing too. But you mentioned uh, name brand stuff there. In addition to the sorrels and the Danners, I believe they had some nice Rockies, which Rockies are oh, great yeah. boots, and they got a, they got a good. I think the one out in Oconomowoc, they got forty percent off any of the camel pattern boots right now. Right, same thing. Uh, in yeah, the, which is a great thing. deal. Yeah, same thing in uh, Hills Corners too, and probably in oh, same thing in uh, Port Washington as well. Yeah. So, because there are yeah, three, almost... there, there's three of them. There's three Sherper stores. So I I was tempted to buy a pair of Camel Rockies, but uh, I've already bought new Rockies this year. But yeah, a uh, good shout out for Sherpers there. That's for sure. Yeah, I'll tell you. You know, a lot of people talk about you know Sherpers that you know some people who haven't been there for years, they come in looking for the military surplus stuff. Well, you know, many years ago, Sherpers, that was their main business, was military surplus. Well, nowadays, you know, stores have got to change with the times. Uh, more into, like, the outdoorsy stuff, camping, hiking, uh, kayaking, guns, knives, not guns, but knives, fishing, hunting stuff clothing, you know, a lot of stuff you just got to change with the times. And besides that, when it comes to that military surplus stuff, it's like, first of all, there's not a lot of it left, you know, from the Second World War, Korean War, and whatever. But it's the, that there are professional buyers out there who go out and they snatch, they just snatch up whatever they can of that stuff, and then they want to, of course, resell it for a lot more money than what they paid for it. And the owner just kind of figured, well, I'm not going to pay that kind of money because, you know, after you mark it up, it's just too expensive. People won't buy it. So that's why it's hard to find. And if you do find it, it's very expensive. So that's why we don't we have very little in the way of military surplus, you know. And that and that's really too bad, Tom, because I'll, I'll put a put in a plug for some of that military uh, surplus stuff many, many years ago when my brother Tom was a member of the 82nd Ranger Airborne. He came back at Christmas, and he brought us stuff that he'd got. He got these heavy winter jackets. He yeah. had uh, the pants. And I'll tell you what, I still have that jacket. My brother has one as well, and it, it cuts the wind, and you can put a whole bunch of you know layers underneath it. And I've been out in literally brutal conditions up on Lake of the Woods. In fact, when I caught my 22-pound northern up there in Buffalo Bay, Manitoba in 1997, uh, it was below zero. 
I was wearing that camel army jacket. And it's kind of funny. I'd go with the Steve Milliots of the world, and they'd have their fancy Gore-Tex design, Cabela's, got whatever, all the fancy logo clothes. And there I am wearing my old camel pattern army jacket. And guess what? I stayed just as warm as they did. Yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, Sherpers still sells. They sell the army jackets with the liners. The only difference is, is that they're brand new. They're not military surplus. They're brand new. So. And my, mine didn't have the liner, but I think you've, it's got the capability where I think, uh, I think you can put the liner in there. But even so, it, it cuts the wind really good. It's relatively water repellent, not waterproof. And I'll tell you what, for uh, hunting pants, for bow hunting, all I've ever worn are those army pants. I get them, you know, extra size big. They tighten down on the sides where you don't even need a belt. And you can wear a couple pair of sweatpants underneath and your boots. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, I'll, I will wash them. I know a lot of guys like to get the scent lock type stuff. I will take the time to wash them in unscented, you know, detergent. Uh, and, and you don't have to buy the stuff you know, they, the hunting stuff that they advertise, you can just go to the store and just buy the one that says no perfumes or dyes, wash it in that. And then if you want to spray it with some of the spray to cut the scent down, but uh, you don't need all that fancy scent lock stuff. Those pants work great. I'll tell you, yeah, one of my favorite pants that uh, I found years ago at Sherpers that uh, I would wear for ice fishing and snow shoveling and whatever, a pair of flannel lined jeans. I'm telling you, flannel-lined jeans, uh, they feel so good against your legs. They're warm. I, all I had to do was pair, put on a pair of uh, thermal underwear and put those flannel-lined jeans on, and I was set to go ice fishing, you know, just just about any temperature. Uh, as a matter of fact, you know, when I was working, when I had my dent removal business, I'd work outside in the wintertime, and those things were just invaluable. Uh, in the wintertime. So, yeah, flannel line jeans, I'd recommend those very highly. Yeah, you know, a lot of guys use those. A lot of them like to wear the uh, the construction guys, what, the cart, what are they, cart heart bibs or whatever Carhartt, they call yeah, them? Carhartt. Yeah, I know guys wear those, and they'll be out ice fishing in brutal conditions. Yep. So, yep. you don't have to spend a fortune. The other thing I will mention at Sherpers now, they've got a great, great selection of heavy duty winter gloves. And oh, yeah, we mittens. A lot of gloves. I mean, yeah. I mean, the, oh, for this kind of weather, uh, they've got that. And I think they've also got 40% off on all their Blaze Orange stuff. And oh, they've yeah. got the super cool Stormy Kroger hats. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I always have those. I don't know. They look kind of dorky. I don't think I'd be caught w- dead wearing a Stormy Kroger hat. But but they look good on Gordy Murs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they do. Hey, listen, you know what? It's time for somebody to call at 799-1250. That's 414-799-1250 to be a contestant in the Hornswoggle. And the Hornswoggle is brought to you by Carl's Country Market. They're out there in Menominee Falls on the corner of Silver Spring and Pilgrim Road. And uh, they got all kinds of stuff, the award-winning sausages and meats. It's, you know, it's a full-line butcher shop. Plus, you'd be surprised at all the other stuff that they have. But anyway, if you want to win a $10 gift certificate, you better call now to be a contestant in the Hornswoggle. That's 414-799-1250, right here on the Wacky Walleye's Cutting Edge Outdoors. Born to be wild. Born to be wild. 
welcome back to Wacky Walleyes, Cutting Edge Outdoors. Hey, we want to thank all our listeners out there. We got lots of friends out there, people we don't even know. We got people from the north, from the south, and in other states and countries listening to us, believe it or not. We uh, appreciate you uh, listening, and uh, if you are a loyal listener, we appreciate you supporting our sponsors. And right now, uh, we've got our sponsor, Carl's Country Market. Uh, which has some fantastic meats over there. They're sponsoring our Hornschwaggle segment, our Winner Wins $10 gift certificate there. Do we have a lucky contestant, Sam? Yes, today we got Dean and Union Grove. Hey, Dean and Union Grove. How are you doing, Dean? Oh, pretty good. Yeah, good morning, All right. Dean. Yeah. So anyway, uh, Dean, you know how this works. I'm going to make a statement. Um, if I'm uh, pulling your leg, then it's a Hornschwaggle. Uh, if my statement is true, it's no hornswoggle. So here we go. Today's topic are woodchucks. Woodchucks and groundhogs can interbreed. Hornswoggle or no hornswoggle? Uh, that would have to be a hornswoggle. No, that's a no hornswoggle. Mm. A woodchuck and a groundhog are the same thing, so they can get it, get down and get on. Okay, oh, that's okay. That interbreeding? Yeah, well, that's still interbreeding. It's interbreeding between families, so yeah, we'll call that. Yeah. So next one. Woodchucks were utilized as a major source of protein by French trappers in the early 1800s. They would often grind it up and called it ground chuck. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that would have to be a horn swaddle. Okay. <laughs> Come on, Tom. That was a, that was a good one. Keep it together, Tom. Oh, sorry. That was a good one. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> all right. I'm getting my okay. group. I'm regrouping. Uh, when hunting the wily woodchuck, state law requires that you have a, a centerfire rifle with 1,000 foot-pounds of energy minimum to kill the woodchuck. Hornswoggle or no hornswoggle? That would be a hornswoggle. That'd be a hornswoggle. All right, Dean, good job. The only bad one was my trick question on the woodchucks and groundhogs interbreeding, but uh, that's okay. So we'll get that out to you, and uh, should get that mailed out to you right away. Make sure you leave your address with uh, Sam I Am, and uh, thanks for listening. All right, thank you very much. Appreciate thanks, it. good luck. Take right care. <laughs> Danny, Andy, that, that was a good one. That was a good <laughs> yeah. groundchuck. Yeah. I gotta remember that one. It's kind of fun these hornswoggle questions. Yeah, that was a good one. I like that one. Yeah. Hey, you know, we mentioned we'll tease it again, Tom. That uh, top of the hour at uh, seven o'clock, we're gonna have Wacky Walleye's uh, guide, Hall of Fame angler, thirty years uh, up there guiding in the Door County area, Dale Strohshine. He's gonna give us the report from up there. Talk a little bit about that breakaway ice flows. But do you know, Tom? 85, nearly 85 years ago to this day, uh, four men actually died on Lake Michigan out on an ice floe. Oh, I believe it, yeah. Yeah, here it is. The date was February 8th, 1936. The depression of the 1930s had uh, hit rock bottom. These guys uh, were not fishing for fun. They were fishing for lake trout, if they caught trout, they kept what they needed and sold the rest. If they failed, there was no money even for groceries. And uh, they were fishing uh, from, out from Bayshore, a hamlet on Little Traverse Bay. 
midway between Petoskey and Charleville at the northwest corner of Michigan's mitten-shaped Lower Peninsula. And it's an interesting story. Uh, I, I remembered when I heard this news report, Tom, I remembered this story. <clears throat> it was in uh, Outdoor Life uh, book, which I, was a compilation of some of their danger stories. It was really interesting. These guys would go out <clears throat> and they'd fish for lake trout, Tom. Now, you know, the guys still do that up on, uh, well, I don't know if they do it so much in Lake Michigan, but they do it up, I believe, up by Chukwamigan Bay. But the interesting way in that they'd fish, Tom, was they would use linen lines and put tar on them to take the stretch out till they were almost like hard as wire. And then they'd cut up herring. And so it was almost like a wire line and they'd be fishing in like 100 feet of water and there'd be no stretch in the line so they could set the hook with a sharp yank. And when they'd set the hook, the fisherman would turn around, throw the line over his shoulder and go sprinting across the ice until the trout was flopping outside the hole. So that was like the quickest way that they would land them. So can you imagine seeing some guy go sprinting across the ice with his line over his shoulder? <laughs> and depending on how fast they were. Now, like me, a 50-yard sprint, yeah, five seconds later, that trout would be up. Uh, other people might be half a minute. But quite the way of landing them, which I thought was interesting. Mm -hmm. But the basic story that they had was that uh, these guys were out and a crack developed, and they had one of their guys on shore um, just in case, and he actually came out with the boat that they had just for that purpose, and he pulled a couple of the guys off, but they couldn't all get in the boat, and by the time he got back, the wind had had him out, the ice flow was like five miles out, and by the time he got back to them, they got in, they couldn't row to shore, and they ended up dying out there on the ice flow. So, you know, you hear that, that story about happening up there in Sturgeon Bay, Hey man, that's no joke. That kind of stuff has happened before. Yeah, that's that's scary. I would not want to be in those shoes. That's for sure. Uh, see, that's one of the reasons why I don't ice fish that much. I don't want to be on Pewaukee Lake and get caught in one of them ice flows out in the middle of the lake. Oh well, yeah, yeah, we got lots of ice flows out here on Pewaukee Lake, there, Tom. Um, it's it, it's interesting though. You mentioned about um, getting your stuff off. Now, I did hear one guide. Uh, who I'm not going to mention the name of the guide service, but there was one guide service I know that had, you know, from a report I read that had guys out there, and uh, his guys got back safely, but they weren't going to be able to fish with him the next day because uh, apparently all his stuff was out there. So yeah, how would floating out there? Yeah. How Tom? How would you if you got a shanty out there on an ice floe? Other than hoping that it blows back to the shoreline area and reconnects or and or the ice freezes over in between, how in the heck are you going to get a, a whole shanty back uh, you're yeah, not, or a four-wheeler or whatever? I, I don't, you're not, you're not going to get it. To, from what I understand, they'll come out in a helicopter or airboats, you know, and pick people up. But, you know, any kind of equipment, that, that stays there. That could be lost forever. So no. imagine there if you're fishing up there and up in the UP, up in Michigan, and all of a sudden you go out to your favorite place and like an ice flow with a couple shanties is drifted up and you walk, hey, we got a shanty here for us. We're all set. <laughs> yeah. And that could happen depending on, you know, the, which way the wind is blowing. I don't know. I guess on that case, it'd be a finder's keepers deal, man. 
Yeah, I I hope I never have to find that out. I don't think I will, since I don't live on the shores of the Bay of Green Bay anywhere. So I don't think I'll ever have to worry about that, Danny. I I wonder, Tom, if a guy could put some type of flotational device on the shanty. They require those, on, I believe, on the Madison Chain Lakes. They, they uh, require those on, like, four-wheelers and stuff. Yeah, yeah, and the four-wheelers, snowmobiles, yeah, anything like that they do. Um, you know, when it comes to that uh, football picking contest later on, normally we would call the no-name bookie, you know, and find out, you know, what the insight is on it. But, you know, the no-name bookie's not feeling too well lately, so we won't be contacting him, but our best wishes go out to him. Anyway. You know, You mentioned the game, Tom, and I guess I'm getting ahead of my pick, but I was going to go with Kansas City. But now I heard on, uh, I read that uh, Andy Reid's son was involved in an accident on Thursday, and he's their linebackers coach. And uh, apparently they are checking him for investigation for driving while impaired. Uh Uh, Yeah, a couple, a car was broke down on a, a ramp, and then another car stopped behind it. And to try and help out, and apparently he came up the ramp, and all of a sudden there's these cars at a dead stop in front of him. And, uh, yeah, apparently a five-year-old boy was critically injured, unfortunately. The adults, from what I understand, were okay. Um, But he's not going to go with the team, and it just gave me a bad vibe. I remember when, uh, what's his name for the Atlanta Falcons, uh, Eugene Robinson got busted with the hooker the night before the Super Bowl down there in Miami, I think it was. And then yeah, they, that's right. They yeah. just got, they had upset the Minnesota Vikings, who realistically were the best team in the NFL that year at 15-1. and one. But uh, their guy missed a field goal in the playoffs. So in the championship, Atlanta squeaked by him. I believe Dan Reeves was the coach. And uh, that just put the team in an entire funk and allowed... Uh, John Elway, who wasn't really all that great at, at that time to win his second Super Bowl in a row. Okay, hey, we got a quick email before we go to our top-of-the-hour break. This is from Ken. It's a Tom. How long does it take to cook hash browns until the outside is nice and brown and the inside is fully cooked? Well, I'll tell you what, uh, Ken. I put a cover on it. I have the heat at about medium, you know, like when an electric stove, about number four or five. I have it about medium, and what it only takes a few minutes, maybe no more than about three or four minutes. But you got to check the bottom to see if they're, you know, golden brown, and then uh, if it is, then you flip it over. So it takes about three, four minutes. But I put the cover on it that makes sure they all get fully cooked. I hope that helps. Give it a try. Hey, you know what? Try it. If it doesn't work, try it again. You always learn by your mistakes. That's the way I look at things. I always learn by my mistakes and. Trust me, I've made a few, but right Tom, now... Tom, you never, you never uh, admit your mistakes. Sure I do, I, I do, because I, I mean, you know, because sometimes, whether it be in fishing or hunting or fixing your toilet or, you know, cooking or whatever it might be, sometimes we make mistakes, you know, but that's how we learn. You know, we know, don't do that again, <laughs> you know, but anyway, uh, we got to go to that top of the hour break. Folks, stay tuned for more. Right here on the Wacky Walleye's Cutting Edge Outdoors. The following is paid commercial programming. The content and opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect those of WSSP, Intercom Milwaukee, its staff, or sponsors. From Lake Michigan to the Mississippi. 
and every river, lake, and field in between. Let's talk everything outdoors. Aboard! <laughs> You're on the crazy train. Welcome to the Cutting Edge Outdoor Show. Fasten your seatbelts for a wild ride through Wisconsin's outdoors. Only on 12:50 a.m. The Fan. That's right, folks. We're back right here on the Wacky Walleyes Cutting Edge Outdoors, where I gotta tell you, our hooks may be sharp, but our wits might be a little dull especially mine this morning. If you want to get in touch with us today, all you got to do is call us at 799-1250. That's 414-799-1250. Or you can email us live at ceoguys at yahoo.com. We come to you every Saturday morning from 6 to 8 a.m. We are live and unrehearsed, so you never know what's going to happen. But I tell you, I, I know what's going to happen now. We got Dale Strohshine on the line, I hope. Is he there, Sam? Yes, he is. All right, we got Captain Dale Strohshine, legendary angler in the Bay of Green Bay. Good morning, Captain Dale. Good morning, gentlemen. So we were wondering if you could give us the rundown on what happened up there on the bay uh, with uh, all the anglers getting caught on those ice flows. Yeah, it definitely was an interesting day. <laughs> yeah, more than that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I mean, things happen. It's um, You know, I mean, when you're... When you're dealing with a large body of water like this, like we do, um, and, you know, if we go back a little bit, look, we look at, you know, what I've been telling everybody is, you know, when I first started this, you know, almost four decades ago, average ice thickness used to be around 30 inches. And, you know, now we're getting average ice thickness around 10 to 12 inches, and uh, which is a significant change, and we're seeing, you know, a change in our climate, uh, much warmer falls as we move into winter, and unfortunately, this doesn't make, you know, that good advice anywhere. Look at this is the latest start we've had in my career, you know, as far as getting out actually on the Bay of Green Bay to actually get out and fish. And, uh, you know, we get a lot of big, big south winds. We get a lot of currents on the lake. And, uh, you know, unlike some other areas, inland lakes, uh, where they don't, they, don't, they don't get that big current like we get here with the swing of the barometer like we had that you know, snow that came in on Thursday, and uh, it it unfortunately uh, just, you know, moved some of the ice, and some of the guys just happened to be, uh, you know, and, and not in the, on the side that uh, was stationary, <laughs> you know, so uh, I just thank God that everybody was okay, and, and uh, you know, the Coast Guard, along with uh, all the fire rescue people uh, from all over different parts, they brought people in from Green Bay. Uh, you know, to assist because there was, you know, as, as uh, they, they reported, I think somewhere up over 60 people. Um, and again, you know, like I said, though, this this can happen to anybody and everybody. Um, you know, this is something sometimes that just uh, can happen, you know, when you're dealing with this big a body of water. Now, Danny yeah. and I were talking earlier that, uh, you know, these people are out there in ice shanties. Now, the rescue was by boats, I take it. Was that is that correct? Yeah, um, the, they, they brought in two helicopters, uh, okay. you know, from Traverse City, first of all, and they, they were, you know, flying back and forth over the tops and just making sure everything was okay at that point. I believe they were waiting for uh, uh, a couple of people to show up with airboats and stuff like that, which ended up uh, one of them being the Coast Guard. 
and I think also um, they had other airboats that uh, you know that we have up here, and they were uh, they lowered people down from the Coast Guard uh, helicopters. Then um, I saw the one the one actually take place where they lowered somebody from the Coast Guard helicopter to assist the guys uh, getting people into the airboats and stuff, and then they brought them back over, and then uh, UTVs and. And uh, safety people were out there with their machines and then were uh, helping bringing people back, you know, to uh, safe landing, you know. Yeah, well, you know, these poor guys, they, you know, they'd lost all their stuff, you know, right? I mean, their shanties and everything. Yeah, I, I, uh, I you know, it's probably more than likely just a temporary thing, uh, Tom and Dan, where, you know, this has happened before. I mean, this is something that's, that's not happened up here. Um and, you know, when, when this happens, a lot of times the ice will shift and it'll blow out of ways and then it just stops and whatever gear is on there, uh, more times than not, when the wind switches to the north, it blows back in and then it's like nothing ever happened and there your shacks are. Oh, okay. <laughs> or your UTVs and stuff like that. Dale, I got a question because you're really knowledgeable on this stuff. When you were talking uh, a couple of weeks ago, I found it fascinating. You talked about thermal pockets and where the water the ice can be you know thin one spot and good another which i i thought that you know i'd never had no idea myself but uh how about as far as currents on on the bay or under the ice i mean i'm guessing that there's some really strong currents do you and are they predictable yeah they're uh it's interesting you know everybody always kind of felt that uh you know currents were directly correlated with wind and it is, but it, that's a, it, it's a loose connection. It's a very, very loose connection. Uh, winds a lot of time are brought in by a barometer. It's more of a barometer. There's times where I've been out there, Dan, for example, where we've got absolutely no wind. And as you lower your line down to the bottom of the lake to start fishing, you just see your line sweep off hard left or hard right because what ends up happening, and it'll switch a lot of times in the course of the day because it's kind of like a a surge or a what's the word tide yeah where where it'll the water will, the the current will be blowing from the north for example and I think really what happens is it pushes and pushes and pushes and then it all builds up down there in the bottom of the lower bay by the mouth of the Fox River and then all of a sudden it can't do anymore and then it just bounces and comes back and it's funny because you'll be out there and then all of a sudden it's going back to the to the north. You know, one minute it's blowing all up to the south, and then you see your line just go limp, and it's up straight up and down, and you can start actually catching a lot of fish again. And because uh, you're making contact with bottom, you understand where your jig's at. And then next thing you know, your line's back the other direction. And then about an hour later, after it pushes all up the little bay to knock Michigan, it hits there and bottoms out, and then it swings back and comes back. It, it's just the craziest thing you've ever seen. And what people have to understand is when you look at the ice on the Bay of Green Bay, most people don't understand. When you go out on, you know, an inland lake down like where you guys are, uh, or, or most inland lakes where people ice fish, it's just flat top. It's like a pancake. It's like a, a plate of glass. When you come up here, we'll have huge shoves and piles of ice that are 30, sometimes 40, 50, 60 feet high. And it's because of the ice when it's when it's forming here, seeing that it's about, you know, if you look at from Little Bay to Knock, Michigan, going back to the mouth of the river uh, down by the Fox in Green Bay, you're looking at about 120 miles 
of open water, and it's probably around uh, 16, 17 miles wide, maybe at the widest spot. And uh, so when this forms, if it's not flat calm, it's not like a plate of glass. When this forms, you've got these big shards, ice piles all over, and you've got these big pieces of ice that could be, you know, 10, 12 inches, 14 inches thick at times, uh, sticking straight up. And what you see on the surface, just so you understand, it's 10 times that underneath the ice. So when the current starts, it's basically like holding a, a blanket up, uh, you know, in a big wind or trying to carry a 4 by 8 sheet of plywood straight into the wind. So what ends up happening is when that current starts going, basically what I'm saying is it gives something for that current to grab onto and actually move the ice if it can move it. So um, that's that's... That's why on Thursday, this is the first time I've ever seen that, and that's what I was talking about on the news, where the crack not only opened up north-south, that was from the wind, but then all of a sudden we had a crack open up that went to Peshtigo Shoal towards uh, Peshtigo, and that opened up, and I've never seen a crack open up in three directions. So it opened south, it opened north, and then it opened to the west, and that west crack was directly because of the the big front we had coming in that swung the barometer so hard, creating a super strong current that opened up that ice in three different directions. Amazing. Just, just you know, it's just so much going on up there that we down here don't know about. You know? Hey, Dale, you mentioned, you kind of touched on it. So with those underwater currents, uh, that does affect your fishing then. You were kind of mentioning you want to have contact with bottom, so I guess you want to try and avoid that then, ice fishing, I'm guessing. Yeah, it's a, it's, you know, it's funny because it's kind of like, a, it's kind of like wind for, for open water. You know, you always want a nice little wind, but you don't want it too strong because obviously you know what happens. You can't fish in that. But wind always makes it better for a better bite. It's the same thing with the current. When we get out there and we've got no current, it makes it much tougher. But when we get a, a current that's manageable, just like a manageable wind, that's when the fish really get active, the whitefish especially, and will do really well. But if we get too much current, which we do at times, we can't even make contact with bottom. What ends up happening is kind of like walking a dog. We go down to tap the bottom, there's bottom, and then we come up a little bit and we're trying to get our whitefish, you know. And then we go to tap bottom again and there's no bottom and you got to peel a little line. Oh, there's bottom again, you start again. And then you got to peel out a little line. You keep doing this, and you keep doing this, and eventually your line's like underneath somebody else's, sh- you know, <laughs> underneath somebody else's shelter, a hundred feet away. You know, right. so you got to reel up and start over again. You know, I bet you point, there's you Dale. Know, there's a lot of guys fish. that think that all they got to do is go up to the bay, go out, drill a hole, drop their line down, and start catching walleyes or whitefish. It's not that easy, is it? No, it, it really isn't, Tom. I mean, <laughs> oh wow. Um, there's, there's days where it can't be that easy, you know, and that's the days that, you know, keep a lot of us coming back, whether it's open water ice fishing. You, we've all been there, and, and for the listener, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's days you put the boat in, and you're like, well, why can't I do this every day? Because you're catching one after another, and then you go for the next two weeks, and you don't catch anything, you know, and that's kind of how ice fishing is, too. It's the same way, but I will say this with ice fishing. It's much more difficult to do ice fishing because... You're so limited in mobility. And just so the listener understands that whether it's ice fishing or open water, the one thing that can really make you more successful is that, that ability to move and stay mobile. And uh, that's where you really take, uh, uh, where it becomes very, very difficult ice fishing because mobility is not that simple. 
Um, you know, you just can't pick up and run down the end of the lake, you know, and go to the next spot. I mean, to move sometimes out here, um, it takes it takes an hour to get everything put packed up and put away, and, and by the time you get to the next spot, the day's over. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, I got I got I got a, one last question for you before we got to go to our break in a few minutes. What about the perch population? Is that coming back pretty good? Because I happened to be watching uh, Larry Smith last week, and they were catching a lot of perch on the Bay of Green Bay. What have you heard about the perch? Yeah, I would say you know that perch population, uh, and it's interesting that you bring that up because you know they were talking to me about you know uh, the transformation of this fishery. Because when I first started guiding here, you know, almost four decades ago, I that's all we chased was yellow perch, and um, and then all of a sudden the yellow perch disappeared, and you know I was doing yellow perch and brown trout and some northern, and uh, of course some walleye at that time when I started guiding, and uh, but then all of a sudden the yellow perch disappeared, and they disappeared for decades. We didn't have yeah. much of the yellow perch population here at all, but now it's coming back very strong. And uh, I just don't know if it's a strong enough population of fish yet that I feel comfortable targeting. I want these things to get to where there's there's some strength in numbers before we would actually start pursuing them as a guide uh, and uh, going out there and and trying to target them. Because you need a strong population of fish, especially with yellow perch, uh, to put days together consistently of catching fish. For people coming up that just like to fish with yellow perch and you're on your own, I would say absolutely. I mean, that can be very good at uh, at times, you know. But I just, I just don't know how strong it is yet. That's all I'm saying. Right. Well, Dale, we want to thank you for coming on. He's Dale Strohshine from Wacky Walleye Guide Service and Sturgeon, excuse me, Sand Bay Beach Resort. Uh, so if you're looking for, uh, you know, to go out walleye fishing or whitefish fishing this winter, uh, they got to call you. What, what's the phone number? Or what's the website? Uh, it's uh, Wacky Walleye. Or they can call us at uh, our toll-free number, Tom, at 888-879-5548. And uh, talk to my wife, Karen, and we'll get you guys hooked up and get you out fishing. All right. Well, thanks for spending a few minutes with us, Dale. We do appreciate it. Thanks, Dale. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. Bye now. And, folks, coming up next is the football picking contest. It's sponsored by Curly's Waterfront Pub on Pewaukee Lake. You can win a $10 gift certificate to Curly's if you pick the correct winner of the game. Uh, or, no, you got to either tie or beat us. Now, the last time we played, we all picked the Packers, and we know what happened. So we did not have a winner for the first time this year. But we'll see what happens this year. That's 799-1250, 414-799-1250. Be a contestant for the football picking contest. We'll be right back with more. Welcome back. Welcome back to Wacky Walleye's Cutting Edge Outdoors. And uh, we just want to thank Dale Strohshine, who was just on the air. Make sure if you do a little bit of whitefish fishing, walleye fishing, contact Sand Bay Beach and Resort, Wacky Walleye's, and get on up there. Now we've got our football picking contest. Take it away, Tom. Yeah, Sam, uh, who do we have, first of all? We got Karen from Pewaukee. Hey, good morning, Karen. Good morning. Good morning. All right, now, um, what's the point spread, Sam? As of now, the Chiefs are favored by three points. The Chiefs are favored by three. So, Karen, who do you like in this game? I like the Chiefs. You do, okay. Danny, who do you like? 
Uh, I hate to say this, but uh, as I was alluding to earlier, when Eugene Robinson uh, jinxed the karma of the Atlanta Falcons and they lost to Denver, I got a bad feeling about this. Much as I hate to say it, Tom Brady and the Patriots could be a team of destiny. Then we're going to have to hear how great Tom Brady is the rest of her life. They'll put a statue of him out somewhere uh, in honor. But then, you know, then, you know, the uh, protesters will just tear it down, you know, years later because he supported Trump. But regardless, uh, I'm thinking Tampa is going to win. And Sam, who do you like? Uh, I, I hear what Bush is saying because I feel like Tom Brady is the Terminator. You know, you can't count him out until he's down for sure. But, and, you know, what what's up with the Kansas City, you know, coaching staff and all that. But I, I, I like Mahomes and Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. They're just, I feel like they're too talented. So I'm going to go with Kansas City. All right. And I look at it that Tampa Bay's got the better offensive line, defensive line, faster uh linebackers and they do have a pretty good quarterback so i'm gonna go with tampa even though i don't like tom brady i i gotta go with tampa bay Buccaneers. so karen i guess you're a winner already so, oh good <laughs> have you been out to curly's already we uh i was out there tuesday had the tacos they're really good excellent well you're gonna have a ten dollar gift certificate to spend out there again Terrific. All right. Well, thank you for calling. And now stay on the line because Sam's got to get your address, all right? Okay. All right. Thank you, Karen. Well, Danny, I guess we got uh, the last one of the year in and kind of hate to see it go. It's always fun. It's always fun giving away other people's money, you know. Well, I, I I did like uh, I did like years ago when I used to you know, when we'd pick four or five games and I think I was I won like what was it six years in a row Tom that I was the top picker back then. Uh, no. What do, what do you mean <laughs> no. no? What do you mean no? <laughs> no. <laughs> I won one year, you won one year, and then we tied. I think two years in a row. You're the one with the bad memory, Tom. I don't know. I'm the guy. I I, I don't know. So, uh, yeah, well, it's been, it has been, has been fun. Hey, a uh, couple announcements. Um, the uh, DNR right now is offering a chance for artists to showcase their, their talent. They've got the turkey pheasant and, uh, yeah, I think it's the turkey pheasant and waterfall stamp design contest. Artists must submit their entries by July 15th, 2021. And, you know, uh, Wisconsin, as you know, Tom, has had these contests for many, many years. Oh, yeah. and many, And it's been a kind of a launching pad, kind of a stepping stone for a lot of uh, good artists. Our good friend Steve Milliot, you know, he had won the, uh, I remember, I think it was 19, I don't know when it was. Uh, he won the uh, trout stamp contest yep. with the, brown, yep. the uh, Great Lakes. And later he was selling the prints. And he, uh, he won that. I think he had won the Inland one, too. He'd won a number of contests. Uh, another friend of mine, it's interesting, his name was Sam Tim. Now, if any of our listeners are familiar with uh, any uh, uh, outdoor uh, uh, portraits, calendars featuring, in particular, barnyard-type winter scenes featuring uh, red cardinals and pheasants and so forth, uh, he, he specialized in that, but he... Uh, he was the assistant pastor at our church back around, oh, I don't know, right around 1980 or so. And I'd go fishing with the guy, and I'd go down in his basement, and he'd show me he was trying to teach himself how to how to paint. And, 
in fact, one of his uh, one of his uh, paintings that he did, I looked at it and I'm like, that's my dad's. That's the bottom of the tree that my dad uh, uh, has his deer stand in. He had a rough grouse one that he did, but he later became uh, pretty famous. Uh, he got uh, sponsored through Wild Wings, and uh, he uh, still a minister. But being a minister isn't what made him his money. Uh, his art talent really took him far, and it kind of started with winning those contests. Yeah, I got a lot of respect for those people who can draw and make things look like it's a photograph. You know, they like it, make it look so real. That, that's just an amazing talent that some people have. It's just, uh, it's it, like I said, I'm in real all in respect of people who can do that. Yeah, it, it's it it really is a talent, and uh, yeah, it's. Uh... I just I I can't draw a stick man for God's sake. So I know me. Uh, I draw a stick man, and it don't even look like a stick man. <laughs> so yeah, yeah I know what so, you mean. so for those uh, aspiring artists out there, you can uh, turn that in. Uh, also, the uh, uh, DNR is going to have a virgin virtual open house February tenth to learn more about their deer management assistance program. Now, this is something, Tom, that I might actually check into. They do have a, a deal going where <clears throat> landowners, uh, if you own some acreage, you can enroll in what they call a DMAP, which is the Deer Management Assistance Program. In fact, uh, you're, you can actually become, if you have uh, enough, enough acreage, you can actually have a site visit by a DNR biologist and forester to kind of help, up, help you come up with a plan. And uh, so that's something I'm planning on doing up on the wealthy estate up in Douglas County. But if any of our listeners are interested in that, the virtual open house is Wednesday, February 10th at 7 p.m. via Zoom. And a pre-registration is not required. So check out the DNR site. You can get info on that, too. Yeah, I just wanted to let people know and let you know, too. I don't know if you got the February 5th edition of the Wisconsin Outdoor News. Uh, but I would recommend getting it. Uh, if if anybody's interested in what's going on with the wolf situation in Wisconsin and uh, what people are thinking, should really pick up this. Uh, there's an editorial about it that is quite interesting and eye-opening. But the February 5th edition of Wisconsin Outdoor News, I'd really recommend that. It's it's really good. So. Tom, I uh, we've talked about the wolves and. Uh... I was kind of uh, complaining, saying, hey, why start it in November, uh, you know, when everybody's busy deer hunting and so forth, wait till January, February, like now, when everybody's out trying to shoot the coyotes. Uh, but my friend Jeff had an interesting take on it uh, when we were having a little uh, official union meeting and beer talk last week. He said that he thought having it open in November, one benefit is this. Uh, if you are lucky enough where you draw a tag, that way when you are out deer hunting and if you have a tag and you do see a wolf, you can shoot it. And I hadn't thought of that because even like up on our land, my cousin saw a black, a white, and a gray wolf a couple hundred yards away, but within shooting distance coming down the Nemaji River one day during deer season. And years ago, Tom, you remember when just with your regular big game license, you could shoot a bear if you wanted. That's when hardly anyone hunted bears because everybody kind of did it with dogs. And, um, you know, if you actually saw a bear during the gun deer season, 
you could shoot it. So that actually is kind of a, uh, a reason, I guess I would say, for letting it open in November, even though there's probably not going to be that many guys hunting them then, at least if they have a tag and they are out deer hunting, they can incidentally take them. Uh, the other thing I'd like to see them do is maybe divide it up between a trapping season and a gun season. Because right now it sounds like most all the trappers get them first and it pretty much doesn't give you much time before they hit the quota and you spend all that time trying to get a tag and put that effort in and, you know, you, you can't really hunt them long anyway. I'd, I'd, what I'd like to see is uh, no tag needed have about a one-month or two-month season, no tag needed, no limit, and then maybe we'll get down to that 350 wolves that the DNR said in the first place. You know? Yeah, I... Maybe I, we'll get down to that. I, I don't know. I Why... I don't know. I, I hunt, Well, maybe we go to a break. When we come back, maybe we can talk a little bit more about it. Yeah, um, and if anybody has any comments, if you got a comment, folks, 799-1250... Or email us live at ceoguys at yahoo.com. We'll be right back on the Wacky Walleyes Cutting Edge Outdoors. Welcome back to Wacky Walleyes. Cutting Edge Outdoors, thanks for getting on board for a ride on the crazy train this morning, my friends. And uh, I'm Dan Bush along with Tom Neubauer. We've been uh, discussing all things outdoors and everything in between. And uh, last topic, we were talking about wolves. So, Tom, I am going to go out and uh, pick up a copy of that Wisconsin Outdoor News. You know, it's kind of a bummer. It's hard to find online or find magazines these days. Used to be you could go to your corner uh, you know, 7-Eleven, and they'd have a whole magazine rack. Uh, used to be Pick and Save would have a magazine rack. Uh, but now the only place it seems to have magazines is if you go to uh, either a Fleet, Fire, Fleet Farm or Cabela's. And uh, I guess you got to get a subscription then to Wisconsin Outdoor News, which you have. But I was going to ask you, it, pretty much we've joked about this back and forth over the years, but it, it sounds like you just would just assume there'd be no wolves in Wisconsin. And I just kind of explain to me uh, where your feelings come from, why you hate the wolves so much. Oh, I don't hate wolves. It's just that, you know, up in Canada, where there are a lot fewer people and a lot of game and a lot of woods for them, you know, a lot of land for them to roam and have a good time, whatever, live out their lives. You know, it's been proven that wolves and people just don't get along. Livestock and wolves don't get along. Uh, and since when Wisconsin became a state, yeah, there were wolves here, but as the state grew and, uh, you know, a lot of livestock came into the state and whatever, you know, the, 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 the farmers and whatever, people living in northern Wisconsin, you know, started shooting the wolves, you know, because they were you know, doing the predation on the on their cattle, on their horses, on their whatever livestock they had. So, you know, it came to a point where there were very few wolves in Wisconsin. But, you know, the DNR wanted to bring them back into the state. And, you know, you just can't always force people to be, or let's say, if there's two people that don't like each other, you can't force them to like each other. You know, they're well, just not going to like each other. Whereas humans and wolves just don't get along. 
But whereas we... wolves in Canada get along just fine, you know. We, we don't have to have them down here. Yeah, they, they're fine up there, you know. Well, we have talked about this now before. The DNR did not bring them back. I thought they brought some back. That's no. what I thought. I always no. thought that, but maybe no, I'm they didn't. They, they did not. They did not. Okay. They naturally, there was always a few, right? Well, they, they were naturally, even when I was up there uh, in Douglas County back in the 60s, uh, my dad saw bull moose there in Douglas County right there. There were occasional moose coming down in from Minnesota. Okay. Um, there were occasional wolves that could kind of filter into that because they travel a lot. In fact, if right, you've got frozen right. ice like Lake Superior or something like that, they can go a long ways. And I believe they also filtered in from the UP as well, if I'm correct. But what the DNR did do, you're correct in this sense, in that they did want to uh, kind of help encourage them to reestablish a population in Wisconsin. And you're right, their goal was to let them reestablish right around 300 would be a, a ideal. And it definitely is way more than that. Yeah, and, you know, that's the thing. If the DNR was straight with us, which a lot of times they're not, if they were straight with us and said, okay, you know, we're going to really keep it at 350. We're going to keep it at that. So we're going to have a hunting season, you know, whatever, uh, to keep it at that. You know, that would be great. But they've let it go and let it go. And, of course, of course all the, 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 the environmental nuts or whatever, the animal nuts, you know, they wanted to have as many wolves as you can have. Well, you know what? That's just not working out. Wisconsin pays a couple of hundred thousand dollars every year, if not more, for wolf depredation, meaning that the wolves are killing livestock, they're killing horses, they're killing pets. I mean, hey, it can only, you know, go on for so long before people say enough is enough. We've well, had bear, enough of this, you know. The, okay, so I agree with you that they are, you know, we are spending a lot in, in, in fees, and they kind of keep that under the radar. They don't want to advertise that the wolf is eating the pet dog. Actually, the dogs that are taking the biggest beating are the uh, hunting dogs, like bear dogs and so yeah, forth. They're doing that are, too, yeah, they're That's where most of it's coming from. They're not coming in people's yards and getting poodles. You know, that's coyotes down there in Hill's Corners doing that. No, um, in northern but, Wisconsin they are. I don't know if they're coming in people's yards that oh, much. Oh, yeah. They're doing, coming. You know, people's got farms. They come around the, you know, the barn area, wherever, anywhere there's livestock, anywhere there's yeah. something that yeah, well, you know, the uh, wolf uh, can uh, eat. Okay, yeah. yeah well, a farm's a more out, out in the open type thing. So, yeah, yeah, you're right. Any wild animal can come around there. I'm just talking in cities necessarily. Yeah, um, we don't have but, to deal with them down here. As, See that? But as far as far as blaming the DNR on it, Tom, I'm going to you know kind of defend them a little bit. It's not like they haven't wanted to cut the population down. They've wanted to have a hunt for years. It got stopped. They yeah, wanted to true. keep them regulated. So it's not like they that's deliberately true. let them get out of control. It it just it is what it is. It just happened. Now I think that it's nice to have some wolves. I think it's cool to see wolf tracks up at my cabin. Now sure, does my deer hunting suck a little bit more are those deer more wily and, and looking over their shoulder heck yeah well i guess maybe it makes it more of a challenge to get a big buck up there than guys who are shooting them one mile out of town here in pewaukee and uh which some of my friends are no no slight there but you know what i'm saying you get a wily northwoods buck you've really got something there 
Um, but I like the fact to hear the howl wolves howling. I think it adds an element of nature. On the other hand, I understand how in some cases, you're right, there's not going to be, you know, there's going to be some bumping heads. How about if they were to manage it by areas? They do that with turkeys and everything else. Why don't they look at the areas where deer hunters are complaining, the county saying, oh, I'm up by crivets. I didn't see a deer all season. God dang wolves. Well, why not, you know, do it more selectively instead of saying, let's have this number across the state, then shut it down. Why aren't they targeting the target areas with more permits? I think it could be done better. Yeah, that too. You know, the other thing too is, you know, here's the thing when it comes to humans, though, out in the woods. You know, years ago, you never, like like for me, I never worried about going out in the woods uh, years ago. I knew there were bear out there, but I never worried about it. I, You know, I didn't even know there were wolves in Wisconsin years ago. Um, but as long as I made noise, I didn't have to worry about the bears. And But now... Now, people don't go out in the woods unless they have a firearm just because of the fact of the wolves that might attack them. And there have been quite a few close calls where people have gotten back in their vehicles or back in their homes or whatever, you know, to get away from the wolves that were tracking them. It's happened, you know, and, uh, and that's why it's just not against the, you know, that wolves are, you know, maybe decimating a little bit of the deer population, but it's also the fact that one of these days uh, it's going to happen to a human being and then you're going to hear the outcry even more so than what it is now. And that's, well, like I said, that's from people in the northern half of the state, not in the southern half, because we don't have to deal with wolves down here. People up well, north, the, they do. Well, the truth, you know, it, it, you know, you are right. A lot of the, 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 the tree huggers, they love the wolf and he's, uh, he only kills what he wants and he, uh, you know, he's not a threat to humans. Well, that's not really true. There was a female teacher uh, jogging up in Alaska near a lumber camp years ago, and she was taken down by, uh, by a, a couple of wolves. They followed the tracks, and she fought hard for about 70 yards, it looked like. Uh, but the, you really don't hear that publicized a lot. So it is true. And the Europeans, uh, there was a reason for that, uh, that story, Little Red Riding Hood. The Europeans had a much tougher time of the wolf over there uh, than we've had over here in North America. Uh, there was actually a story years ago, I think it was during World War I, where uh, planes were flying over some village somewhere uh, up in Eastern Europe there, and it was deep snow, and the villagers, the, it was a kind of a tough, cold, starving winter, and, and they saw uh, wolves roaming through the streets, and they'd actually gotten to the point where they first they were taking dogs, then they got more bold, and it was to the point where they were trying to bust into the villagers' little uh, little huts, and they, they had to have the army come on down there and land to uh, save the people. You really don't hear stories like that, so it is true that they can. On the other hand, I'd feel more secure. If you're going to ask me where am I going to carry a firearm up in the woods or going downtown Milwaukee, I guess if I took my choice, I'd rather have the firearm <laughs> carried going downtown Milwaukee if you really want to start talking about risk. Um, How about both? <laughs> yeah. You know, the other thing, too, is that the wolf population in northern Wisconsin is getting more, uh, they're, they're getting more to the point where they're not afraid of people. If they were afraid of people, you know, and hunkered away, you know, and kept out of sight and all that. I don't think people would have as much of a problem. But they're getting closer and closer to towns. They're getting closer, you know, to the family farms and that. Uh, it's just to the point where 
they're not as afraid of people as they once were. Well, they are getting, the word is habituated. Yeah, yeah. habituated, I think that's it. That, but, you know, heck, good. you know, we got the same problem with coyotes around here, man. Uh, exactly. There was uh, one was spotted across the lake from me the other day going right by houses, and everybody said, hey, hey watch I... your little kids and watch your pets. So that is true. But, you know, wolves are incredibly, incredibly intelligent. Think about some of the smartest dogs. You talk about, what, German Shepherds, some of these. They are sharp. And all it would take is a couple of shots where they get fired at once or twice. And behave, Pavlov's dog's behavior conditioning, guess what? You, you're right. They, that would just, you wouldn't have, they wouldn't be coming around bold anymore. So I, that's where hunting would be good. Yeah, that's where maybe just shooting at them, you know, maybe not trying to kill them like now, <laughs> uh, just shooting at them to warn them away. Maybe that let's would get, help. Let's get some paintballs. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and, uh, yeah, paintball gun contest. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't think I want to tick off a wolf, a wolf though, <laughs> shooting with a paintball and then have it come after me. <laughs> I don't think I'd like that. <laughs> yeah, maybe that would, uh, I've always thought that would be kind of fun with a goose out on the yard that's crapping on your deck. Hope the DNR isn't listening to that. I think that would be called harassing wildlife, I think. Oh, yeah, the, Some, uh, somebody would turn you in for that, for sure. Is, yeah. is the key on that one, yeah. But uh, well, it'll be interesting to see. Hopefully, they can have a, a hunt. But uh, hopefully, you know, the, the DNR has been listening to our uh, our broadcast here, Tom, and didn't turn us off right when you started criticizing them from the front, and have listened to some of our great ideas for the upcoming hunt. Yeah, we we always have good ideas, but nobody seems to be listening to our great ideas. So, but I'll tell you one thing that the people will be listening to is. Uh, our commercial that's coming up. We got a few commercials, so folks, listen through the commercials. We'll be right back. Uh, he's Dan Bush. I'm Tom Newbauer. Sam Schmitz is on the boards, and we are the Wacky Walleyes Cutting Edge Outdoors. It's the final countdown. The final countdown. Welcome back. To the final countdown of the Wacky Walleyes Cutting Edge Outdoors Crazy Train Ride. And uh, I'm Dan Bush, along with Tom Neubauer. We've been talking a little wolves, Tom, but I was wondering if we can switch directions. Well, we got one quick email, okay? Okay. And uh, it gives me validation for what I had always thought all along. This comes from Gregory. Gregory says, the DNR and the federal government did release wolves about 25 years ago. If you look it up, there was a goal to have uh, 100 wolves in the two national forests. Well, thank you, Gregory. I could have swore I remembered that, you know, that they did release some, that they got them from Canada and brought them into Wisconsin. I could have swore I, and you had me thinking the other way around. So a little validation here. But then again, I guess we'd have to look it up to make sure. Right. So, Re- okay, research Danny, I, take it away. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, research I looked said that they didn't, but who knows. Unless okay. they relocated some of the wolves that were already in Wisconsin and moved them over to those forests. Maybe that, that was it, yeah. That, well, yeah. I guess we'll just have to do a little investigative reporting. But what right. else you got, Danny? So, well, here's the thing, and I, I think our most of our listeners are out there, I'm, I'm guessing, are on the same page with us is uh, because we are a hunting and fishing show, but we talk a lot of guns and so forth. And I'm guessing most of our listeners are uh, pro-Second Amendment firearms owners. 
And uh, several months ago, we had a, a representative from a new group that I joined, Gun Owners of America, on. I'm also a member of NRA, even though they've had some of their issues. And I'm telling you what, uh, we're talking about a lot of changes. Uh, Biden has done a lot of executive actions here and not getting, we're not going to get into a bunch of political stuff. But I will say this, as gun owners right now, you should be really, really afraid and if and and you should be joining nra gun owners of america supporting these groups because there's a lot of scary legislation uh out there i was over at uh i believe it's called north star gunworks in um over here uh near brookfield or waukesha i guess and it's right on blue mound road and a guy there basically said to me he's talking about he's one of the gunsmiths there he talked about H.R. 127, a uh, proposed uh, new legislation there in the uh, in the Congress. And uh, I looked it up, and it's a Sheila Jackson, Texas Democrat, introduced this on the 4th. Now, if you try and read through all of it, it's a lot of legal mumbo-jumbo that, you know, you'd get a headache trying. My, my ADHD, I don't have time to read everything. But it's basically a, a proposed bill that... Um, that uh, would require mandatory registration. Um, if you loaned the firearm to somebody else, you would have to uh, notify, I believe, the attorney general. So like if I loan Tom Neubauer my shotgun to go uh, hunting, I have to notify him. Uh, to get a license, to get a firearm, uh, you would have to have a psych evaluation, a 24-hour training class, um, You'd uh, have to get some expensive insurance policy. Um, I think that if, woman needs a psych evaluation. Right, and um, and and some of the uh, and I mean it's just a whole lot of things, and it has a complete list of the banned firearms. Uh, you wouldn't be able to have a uh, uh, well, you could have a twenty-two rimfire, from what I understood, with a tubular magazine, and and if it held ten longs or long rifles, that's fine. Fine. But if you had your Ruger 1022 with a 10-round magazine, that would be a no-no. And it, some of the fines that they're proposing, when I glanced at the bottom, when it says any violation of R2 Section 5AA will face up to fifty to seventy-five thousand dollars in fine and ten year or and or ten years in prison. This is scary stuff, guys, because right now the Democrats who you know, now not all of them are anti-gun, but I'm thinking there's a lot of them. They control Congress and they control the Senate. And now we do not have a president where when we had President Trump, we could always know, well, he would just veto it. But it's really scary. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. Different states are trying to enact their own laws. So right now, I'm kind of a wake-up call to myself because I get uh, emails from this Gun Owners of America and they ask you to sign your name to a petition. They give you contacts for your local, you know, for your representatives, uh, your politicians, congressmen, whatever. And I'm kind of lazy. I don't follow through and contact them. But from now on, when I get these notices, I'm going to do it. And I would encourage all of you guys out there because if we don't get our voices heard, we're going to wake up someday and we're going to wonder what the heck just happened. And, uh, yeah, so we got to get involved because it's a scary time as far as, uh, you know, gun owners and our Second Amendment rights.
Yeah, you know, I'll tell you what, that happened in Russia, that happened in Nazi Germany, that happened in uh, Cambodia. Yeah, any, any, any place uh, where uh, socialism took, for, took hold, what they did first was get rid of the guns so that people can't rise up against uh, totalitarian governments. Yep, get rid of the guns, and that's what they're trying here in this country, and by God, it better not happen. I think there's enough people in this country that are, that'll fight back. Hey, Dan, well, we got a quick email, though, okay? Yep. One quick email. This comes from Jim. He said, you have mentioned coyotes on your shows today and last week. Here is one I caught on my trail cam. I live, live near UW-Waukesha, only a few yards from my garage. And, uh, yeah, Jim, yeah, coyotes are around among us. You know, I live in Wauwatosa, and, and this summer there was a bunch of them across the road from me. So... <laughs> Yeah, they're all over the place. I wonder I wonder if one were close enough. I'm thinking that if you had a pellet rifle and you put one right between their eyes, uh, I'm thinking with a high power, if you got them right in the right spot, you might be able to put them down. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, I think so. I know a 22 short would do the trick. That's for sure. Yeah, Those well, are there relatively are pellet rifles. There are uh, pellet rifles that you can get in 22 caliber. Yeah, so, yeah, it's it's still yeah. not it's a it, yeah it's but it's not as st- strong as a twenty two however. Well, you'd as have far to as... have the one that's like twelve hundred feet per second, or even a one seven seven at twelve hundred or fourteen hundred feet per well, that's, second. That'll that's, do the job. That's what I was yeah that's what I was referring to. Uh, although a twenty two is still you know when you think even if it's the same speed as a quote twenty two twenty two is typically even like a twenty two short is twenty nine grains which is a lot heavier than a pellet. So even if they're going the same velocity, the, 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 the firearm is going to be a lot more powerful than the pellet rifle. But those pellet rifles, I'm just saying they're not the equivalent of a 22, but they are pretty powerful. And if you hit them in the head, get them in the right spot, the only thing is, is you know, you'd want to make sure you get them because you don't want a wounded coyote running through the neighborhood. Yeah, I don't think the true. neighbors yeah. would appreciate that too much. Yeah. Or maybe just to get them away from the house, shoot them in the rear end. You know? <laughs> so well, there's get... my paintball theory right there, Tom. Yeah, I know. That's the paintball theory. <laughs> just send a, a shotgun with, like, some uh, rubber uh, rubber buckshot or some uh, rock salt. Isn't that what they used to do? Wax. You wanted to get somebody, you shoot, shoot them in the arse with some rock salt, and they'll never want to come back? Yeah, from what I understand, yep, yep. Yep. Yeah, that, yeah, that, yeah, hit the old coyote in the butt with that. They probably wouldn't feel too good. But <laughs> we at the at the Wacky Wally's Cutting Edge Outdoors, in no way endorse shooting coyotes with pellet rifles, rubber shotgun balls, right. or rocks out in any way, shape, or form. We're just kind of throwing it out there as a little bit of fantasy conjecture there. But That's we'd never right. endorse but that, right? I, I like the way you put it, fantasy conjecture. There you go. Fantasy well, conjecture. Danny, that's all I got for this week. Well, I got lots more to talk to you people about. No, I'm just kidding. So, yeah, that's all I got, Tom. To all the listeners, thanks for listening. And God bless and stay free, everyone. You've been listening to Wacky Walleyes, Cutting Edge Outdoors. Please send free alarm clocks for my buddy Tom Neubauer so he's set next week. We'll talk to you all next week, my friends. I'm born.